tuned into this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So this clip comes from episode number 351 with Alan Murdoch and Jonas Dodu. But the clip in this episode comes from Alan where he discusses speed and its place in the return to play process. But just before we do dive into this episode with Jonas and Alan, I want to say a big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today. So if you're looking for a free solution to collect analyze, visualize, and present data to coaches, check out AMS Lite from Rock Daisy at rockdaisy.com. Alan, coming to you next. Thanks, Jonas. Um, starting early in the rehab process with speed in mind, can you give us some examples of how people may translate that into something visual and, and how you may do that in, in an example that you've got? I think it starts with um, an understanding of like some of the, those big key tenants of speed. So not just the big four, like big forces, short timeframes, etc. Is, is very vague. It's very big. I think we need to dive down a little bit deeper and go and investigate some of the work from maybe Ken Clark and Peter Whelan, people like that, and start to understand Okay, these are these are some of the technical, physiological things that influence speed, and then we can break that down even further, and then I can I can try and answer that question, Rob. Um, and to me, really, um, all the summary of that work is basically: Can somebody um, prepare early for ground contact? Can they whack the ground really hard, and can they then spike their ground reaction forces and get off the ground? Um, and have this elastic uh, response on the floor to try and um, spike up that ground reaction force and then move into the next cycle as they, they recover their leg. That, to me, basically is a very neat summary of being able to run fast. Um, and if we go into that a little bit deeper, um, we talk about having a stiff stance leg uh, is one of the, one of the things that, that Ken Clark talks about and having this stiffness, this system stiffness, so that you don't yield on ground contact, you don't leak your forces, you apply them into the force and uh, into the ground. And if you've done what Jonas has said there and you've used this bum before back strategy, you've earned the right to then, as you transition, start to hit the ground really hard with a stiff stance leg and not leak any of that force. Um, one of the other things is being able to switch your thighs and they refer to that as thigh angular velocity, but basically, can I with speed alternate my thighs back and forward can i dissociate my pelvis so that's one of the other key physical qualities the key key physical abilities to be able to run fast um, and then we've got this attacking from above type situation where we create time to create force with the thigh out in front of the body um, and and high degrees of flexion where the other leg is the stance legs and extension um, and that gives us an opportunity to then really increase our foot velocity down into the floor to again spike those those ground reaction forces. So those kind of tenants then start me to be able to think, okay, well, if I know those things are the, the, the things that influence speed and we're, we're having this performance-based approach where we're going to try and incorporate the things we need to do to increase speed early, um, I'm really going to go into that stuff with a couple of streams of movement um, and those streams of movement are going to be the first one is going to be the hip lock stream so it's very franz boshy but ultimately we're talking about um everybody always gives it a wry smile when you mention franz Bosch, you? Don't they? everybody always has a smile <laughs> um yeah so 
basically what we're talking about there is can I extend one leg and one hip into the floor while the other leg is flexed, um, while we have tension through our shin and through our foot in this position of um, almost like a, a right angle at the pelvis. Um, and what that's doing is it's allowing us to explore that, that lateral hip strength, that glute strength, that hamstring strength of being able to extend that stance leg. It's developing stiffness qualities and coordination around the pelvis. Um, and when we go back to those things that I talked about, being stiff stance leg and attacking from above being one of them, um, one of the key tenants to increase your speed, then we can start that stuff almost straight away. As long as you can extend your knee and extend your hip, you can drop into some hip lock work straight away. And you can start to strengthen up that lateral hip and be able to explore the patterns that are certainly helpful and have an impact on some of that stiffness around the leg. Um, so that would be one of the first ones that I do. And for people, the listeners who are trying to imagine what that looks like, um, if you're standing and balancing on one leg, um, straighten out your leg and squeeze your butt. And then on the other leg, flex the hip at 90 degrees, point your toes up and keep your shin underneath your hamstring. Um, certainly not out in front, but underneath your hamstring. And then if you extend into the floor with that hip, um, you'll start to feel a burning sensation up the, the outside of the stance leg. Um, but you should also start to feel the hip flex on the soles working on the alternate side, the free leg side. And once, we've, once we can achieve that and we can build capacity there and that can be done, um, I've, I've started doing that stuff like six days post-surgery, five days post-surgery, um, really, really early. Um, then we can start to incorporate a lot of stuff around spinal, spinal mechanics. Um, and I was introduced by Jonas to this concept of the spinal engine, which basically is some work done by, I think his name is Serge Gratovetsky, I think. Somebody's probably going to message you and say I've murdered that name, but I think that's <laughs> what it is. Um, and he talks about the lateral rotation and flexion of the spine contributing to increasing forces through the pelvis. And they looked at, I think it was, I think it was Russia, and they looked at um, paraplegic uh, populations and tried to understand, well, how do people with no legs still manage to get themselves, still manage to locomote? Um, and what they found was they started to study the spine and they started to find that actually the rotation that we see at the spine, the flexion and rotation that we see at the spine actually is a big key driver to what happens at the pelvis and dissociating the pelvis between flexion and extension and being able to drive forces into the floor and ultimately locomote. Um, so once we, once we introduce our hip lock stuff, then we can start to introduce movement around the spine and, and reaches and flexions and we can start to turn that into dynamic movements, etc. Um, and I think these things start to, one, induce coordination adaptations, start to induce neural adaptations around coordination to drive extra force and, and, and help people understand how they manipulate their body to try and create force and locomote efficiently. Um, the second thing, and this is maybe the biggest thing in rehab, uh, is that people really, once there's an explanation and a rationale, um, people really buy into it. They, they start to recognize, oh, well, I'm not just, I'm not in the gym at day eight and I've just come out of surgery and, oh my God, I'm now starting to talk about strengthening my quad. Like, this is the last thing I want to do. I'm, I'm sore, I'm, I'm disengaged, I'm injured. This is rubbish. Um, but actually, when you can link it to all of this stuff starts to drive performance and speed and efficiency on the pitch, it 
completely changes the game. People end up looking forward to their motor control sessions. They look forward to um, the stuff that in traditional rehabs actually wouldn't have happened until maybe month six, but they're doing it at day six. All of a sudden, there's a bigger buy-in to that process. So that's the first one, the hip lock stream, and that's kind of linked towards that bum before back, that projection that we always talk about, and um, being able to extend your hip. Um, the next stream would be the reflex stream. So that to me is um, what Jonas calls reactivity, but basically your ability to, to get off the floor. Um, how elastic can you be? And that to me starts with things as basic as, as foot intrinsics. Um, I don't think we potentially recognize the value of the ankle and the foot um, as much as maybe we do. And I think we spend a lot of time in the gym and rehab developing this um, maybe for the right reasons as well, right? Maybe somebody appreciates bum before back and they're right, right, we're going to develop cross-sectional area and force-producing capabilities and motor control strategies around the glutes and the pelvis. Um, and you do all that. But unless you develop the tissues and the elasticity around the foot and the ankle, I don't think that this newfound force and coordination ability is going to be as, as worthwhile as it possibly could have been, maybe even detrimental, unless we... Um, strengthen the end of the whip. We talk about whipping from the hip, right? And that bum before back is giving us this perfect whip from the hip. But unless the tip of the whip is reinforced, the tip of the whip's going to come off pretty quickly because all this force is going through it. So when, when I think about um, the reflex side of things, it starts to me with really basic foot intrinsics. It moves to um, very gradual ankling and capacity work around tib amp, tempos, the perineals, um, the feet themselves, and then it gradually starts to move through towards more reactive from, um, from band-assisted to unband-assisted to all your plyometric progressions that move throughout. But um, the, to me, there's no excuse or no reason why we shouldn't be training the foot and the ankle very, very quickly. Um, and that's the second stream. And then the third stream um, would be the pretension, um, would be the switch, uh, the, the ability to interchange our limbs quickly. Um, and what that does, the ability to switch one leg from flexion to extension and vice versa between across the pelvis, is that really starts to help athletes understand how to create pre-tension and preparation um, through the pelvis prior to ground strike. Now, that might start off with very, very basic walking, um, walking modalities where you understand how to... Um, flex one hip and extend the other hip and, and switch across those two those two things um, and gradually the intensity of that increases through velocity um, gradually increases through complexity of the drill that you're asking people to do um, and by doing those three things i think we address those qualities that i talked about about that stiff stance leg about scissoring the thighs quickly about having that negative foot speed or that fast foot speed down into the ground to spike those, spike those ground reaction forces. By starting those three streams early, hip lock, reflex, and switch, I think we prepare um, for running without actually running because all of those things initially will be done in place um, before they start to move across the floor. And I think that's key for people to understand is that you can do so much more than you think you can maybe do with injured athletes early in the, early on in the in the process, as long as it's targeted to the demands of running fast and running efficiently, um, and what I've found is that people buy into it. The return to 
one of the biggest things as well, I think, is that it, it permits you to, when you do return to running, when you do get back on your feet, you're so much more able to tolerate the demands of that running. And we employ a bit of a fast to slow approach, which means we um, the, the modalities that we do will be faster um, compared to slower, ploddy type conditioning when we return to feet. All of a sudden, we built up the qualities necessary, the coordinations necessary to actually reap benefit out of those those um, that type of approach instead of spend three weeks trying to acclimatize to it. Um, so that's that's really when I say starting speed early in the in the the rehab cycle. That's what I'm doing um, in terms of what that looks like. Uh, exercises that probably take me take me a day or two to 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 go through them all. Um, but yeah, that's the that's the philosophy, that's the approach, and what we found is that it engages players much more. And physically, and from a coordination point of view, um, we can start to make use of the forces that we've we've spent so long generating in the gym. Um, we can actually make use of them. And, and this phrase, um, "if force is king, coordination's the crown," that comes to mind. Like we spend so much time really generating these big forces, but without going through those uh, those streams we don't really have the right to utilize them as well as we should um, and if we don't do it early then we're just going to have to catch up time later down the line so to me it's time wasted so thanks for tuning into this episode of pacey performance bite size so this clip came from episode number 351 with jonas dodu and alan murdoch both of speedworks which you can find on itunes spotify and youtube Big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today and I look forward to talking to you soon.